Hey there, I'm Joshua Johnson, and the Nightlight is on. Tonight on the show, getting back to business, finally. The deadlock in Congress is broken, for now. Jim Jordan tried three times to become House Speaker. House Republicans finally found a candidate they could support. Mike Johnson of Louisiana is your new speaker after every GOP member voted for him. We talked about this on this week's Ask Me Anything live stream, and I'll share my thoughts with you about that saga. Also, Kevin McCarthy, the previous speaker, gave the nominating speech for Jordan's third try, and he mentioned a quote from an expert on leadership that I thought was really interesting. Interesting because he used it wrong. It's always great to hear from you. I'm on social at Joshua Listening or email joshua at nightlightshow.com. So I wanted to share my thoughts on the drama at the U.S. House, specifically the fight for a new House Speaker. You may have seen, I wrote on my website about how the ouster of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy felt like that old fable of the scorpion and the frog. You can find that at nightlightshow.com. Well, now there are new lessons to be learned from the man who had pushed for the job, Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. You may remember the House voted three times on his nomination. He lost all three votes, and each time he lost by more votes than he had lost the round before. Now, after the third loss, House Republicans gathered behind closed doors to move on from him. They basically voted not to put his name in nomination again. Came up with a new nominee, Congressman Tom Emmer from Minnesota. He is the majority whip, which is the member who works to secure votes for the party priorities, literally to whip votes. And there were reportedly at least 20 holdouts, and you can only afford to lose four votes and make it all the way through. So that wasn't going to happen. And there is a lot to get done right now. There's a funding bill that's got to pass by November 17th to prevent the federal government from shutting down. President Biden's asking for $106 billion in aid to Ukraine, to Israel, and to improve border security. That would be things like assigning more agents to catch fentanyl traffickers, more staff to process asylum seekers, and so on. Some Republicans have said that they don't like the president's border plan, so that still has to be worked out. But what's the point if nothing can become law? Now, this week, Republicans unanimously supported Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana to be the House Speaker. So now the House and Congress can fully get back to work. I addressed this during this week's Ask Me Anything live stream, but there's something else about it that I think is worth mentioning. It had been on my mind before they nominated and voted for Mike Johnson to be the new House Speaker. It's something that came up during Jim Jordan's third and final attempt to win the speakership. I will get to that in just a minute, but first, here's what we talked about in the Ask Me Anything live stream. These are good. Keep them coming. Let's go with Mary's question because it's timely. Wanted your take on Mike Johnson being named Speaker of the House. Hi, Mary. Good to have you with us. I will give you my take. Wow. <laughs> what a weird few weeks this has been. This is not normal. First of all, glad they got a Speaker of the House together. And, and for those of you who have been kind of following it, let me just, I'll just, just let me explain it from zero as much as I can so that everyone is kind of brought along. The... The Speaker of the House is an extremely powerful position. Often the Speaker of the House is someone 
who has been in Washington for a long time. There's someone who has demonstrated leadership potential because you're not just up there holding that gavel ceremoniously, right? You are arranging the order of bills that come to the floor of the House. The Speaker of the House sets that order. It's a real powerful job. The Speaker of the House is also someone who raises a lot of money for other members of the House in their party. Nancy Pelosi, when she was the House Speaker, was really, really powerful because she was, whatever you thought of her politics or her personality, she raised money, lots of money for Democratic House candidates. Same with Kevin McCarthy, raised a lot of money for Republican House candidates. So the position came with cachet, but it also conferred, or it also uh, conveyed certain things, that you were experienced, people knew you, you had a track record, that you had shown leadership potential, including how to keep members in various factions of your party in line, not just relying on your party whips to do that, by the way, when someone is referred to as a House majority whip or minority whip, that is their job, to try to align votes among their party members to whip votes. Or you're a fundraiser. How many of those things do you think that Mike Johnson of Louisiana is? I'll give you a hint. Had you heard his name before today? Go on, I'll wait. Exactly. So the fact that Mike Johnson is now the Speaker of the House is really remarkable. Remember also that the Presidential Succession Act lays out the list of people who would assume the acting presidency if, God forbid, something happened to the duly elected president and vice president of the United States. We've changed that over the years quite a bit. It used to be that if you ran for president and came in second, you just became the vice president. That changed with Thomas Jefferson. Then there were issues with the presidential succession after, you know, various assassinations and assassination attempts. We're coming up on the 60th anniversary next month of the assassination of John F. Kennedy when Lyndon Johnson instantly became the president. Guess who would become the president if something happened to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? That's right, the guy whose name you don't know. So it's not just a matter of could this guy be the speaker? Could this guy be the president? Now, if you're a Republican or a conservative, you would say, well, hell, I wouldn't want Nancy Pelosi to be the president either. Fair point. Totally get it. I think in that situation, there's at least a little more political congruence between a Nancy Pelosi type, or in this case, it would be Hakeem Jeffries, who's the minority leader of the Democrats now, and Kamala Harris or Joe Biden. Politically, they're very much congruent. Mike Johnson would be a very hard pull to the far right of the Republican Party. He still has yet to acknowledge that Joe Biden won the 2020 election, at least publicly anyway. He still has rather conservative cultural views, including on things like abortion and same-sex marriage, and on and on. He was among the Republicans who did not vote to certify the 2020 election results in the House. There were only two that did, Tom Emmer and Ken Buck. It's, it's an interesting choice. But the fact that he was the only guy that all these other House Republicans could coalesce around also kind of interests me. One thing I've learned watching Washington politics, give the story a few days so that people who are very deeply sourced in Washington can work their sources and get some of the backstory about how it came to be and what the members are expecting. For instance, 
Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker, he got 86 because Matt Gates, Congressman from Florida, by himself said, I move to vacate this speakership and succeeded. That was a deal that is not normal, but it's a deal that House Republicans made around Kevin McCarthy as one of the many Faustian bargains he made to get the job. And Matt Gates took the opportunity, didn't suggest a, a successor, just cut off Kevin McCarthy's head. That rule is still in place. They haven't changed it yet. They're gonna. I'd be amazed if they didn't. But they might not. They don't have to. Remember, the House and the Senate set their own rules. They decide how those chambers run on a technical level. There is no law that says everyone has to follow a certain kind of parliamentary procedure in this way and that way. We set the law. So we, the people, get to pick our representatives, and then the representatives are vested with the power to decide how the chamber runs. I don't think they're going to do that to Mike Johnson, right? I doubt that very, very highly. It's not impossible, but I wouldn't lose sleep over it. Just be mindful of it that we need to know what the terms are of his speakership and what the terms would be if the members chose that they wanted to vacate the chair. The other thing that kind of hits me about this, and this is what I was spinning about this morning to myself, I have found that I am very fertile creatively in the morning, which is weird. My feet hit the floor and I've got ideas. And so I go and I grab my phone, I start like dictating in my phone or writing very furiously or working on the script. One of the things that kind of occurred to me has to do with the way the rest of the world is perceiving what is happening right now. While the vote, and maybe you saw it if you were watching TV today, while the vote was happening on the floor of the U.S. House, sorry, just looking at one more thing, while the vote was happening on the floor of the U.S. House, there was this news conference happening between President Biden and the Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese. He's visiting the U.S., and they did a joint press conference at the Rose Garden in Washington. One of the questions that came up, and you know what? I'm going to see if I can actually find it. I'm going to, can I? I'm going to see if I can do this without crashing the stream. I don't think it'll crash the stream. There we go. So I'm still up. I'm going to just see if I can find the exact question that was asked to Prime Minister Albanese. I don't think they've, nope, there it is. Remarks by in joint press conference. There it is. Let's see. One of the nice things about the White House is they usually, there we go. They usually post this transcripts of those uh, press conferences quickly. So if you're ever wondering, like, did the president say that? Did so-and-so say that? The digital records on like whitehouse.gov, congress.gov are phenomenal. They're so, so good. Now more than ever, Library of Congress too, fabulous source. So don't feel like you got to just cross your fingers and, and hope for the best with whatever news source you're checking. If it's the president or Congress, Super easy to search, super easy. But there was a reporter who asked about the drama in the House and asked then, are you worried, and asking this of Australia's prime minister, are you worried that the gridlock in Washington, I'm reading from the transcript, from the White House's transcript, are you worried that the gridlock in Washington will hold up the transfer of nuclear-powered subs to Australia as part of the AUKUS agreement? I'll explain what AUKUS is in a split second. And are you concerned more broadly that the dysfunction makes the U.S. a less reliable partner? 
Prime Minister Albanese responded, I regard the United States as a very reliable partner, and I regard the relationship that I have with the president as second to none of the relationships that I have around the world. Said it's a relationship of trust, and I think this visit symbolizes that. So, AUKUS. What is AUKUS? A-U-K-U-S. A-U-K-U-S. That refers to a three-way international agreement between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States, A-U-K-U-S, AUKUS. And it is a diplomatic agreement, it's an economic agreement, it's an environmental agreement, but it's also a military agreement. Why does Australia need nuclear-powered subs? Answer, proximity to China and North Korea. Australia, Japan, China, North Korea, South Korea, nations in that part of like the, the Pacific, that, that part of the Pacific Basin, that is a very fertile region in terms of geopolitical conflict and tension. And Australia is a very steady port in any storm in the Pacific for us as a country. So is Japan, so is South Korea. And we've got two significant adversaries in the region, North Korea and China. But why would they be worried about the transfer of nuclear subs? Like what would that have to do with anything? But that's the key. And this is what I wanna talk about in the podcast over the weekend. You're getting a preview, so tell me if you think this is dumb or if this makes any sense. The issue is that the rest of the world looks at these things in that larger context, not just for American democracy, but for democracy in general, because you've got China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, working their way into the mental bloodstream of the rest of the world in their regions going, yeah, democracy. Oh, it's kind of, uh, I mean, it was cute for a minute, but like, is that really your best bet? I mean, the Americans, they keep asking for things. They, they charge so much. I mean, yeah, they're useful and everything, but they want you to be like, oh, democracy, human rights, civil rights, women's rights. You could just come do business with us. It's just a business transaction. We won't ask you to change anything. We won't look too hard. We'll look the other way on some things. And all we're asking is the low, low price of, and then you have other nations that are able geopolitically to exert influence in places that Western democracies used to have on lock. Just last week, China was marking the 10th anniversary of an initiative called the Belt and Road Initiative. Remember the Silk Road, that old trading path that where they traded spices and gold and furs and all kinds of stuff up and down Asia, Genghis Khan's whole like influence in the Western world was connected partly to that Silk Road. China started this initiative years ago to spread some of the billions of dollars that it has from both its domestic production and probably other means as well, to invest in developing economies and to create an infrastructure pathway that would move goods between East and West, more like the Silk Road, like a 21st century Silk Road. And Xi Jinping, who's the president of China, did an event just last week, marking the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. Either last week or this week, I believe it was just late last week. But that's the thing, is China is going to countries in other parts of the world and saying, do you have to do business with the United States? Are you sure it has to be them? And this is all part of that. It's all sauce for the goose. I know it sounds like it might be very far-fetched. That's not the way that China and Russia and other nations are portraying this. It's about democracy versus all those other forms of government. What was that quote from Winston Churchill? Democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. 
That's what this comes down to. So when you see a country like Ukraine, which is a former Soviet state, now a democracy, elect someone like Volodymyr Zelensky on a platform of reducing corruption in government. One of the first things Zelensky did, cleaned out people who've been in government for a really long time. When he does that, and then Russia attacks, being able to be the United States and say, oh, no, 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 not to another democracy you don't, and be not only big and bad, but also believable as a strong democracy helping another democracy matters. And when this whole drama with the House Speaker came up, another democracy, a very young democracy, was in a lot of trouble. A democracy that's only existed for 75 years. And they yelled, help, when they got attacked. To one of the nations that helped it exist, Israel. Think of it that way. Not just as a fight between Israel and Hamas, but a fight between democracy and a religious terroristic movement. That's the lens that the Chinas and the Russias and the North Koreas and the Irans and the terrorists of the world want to paint this in. So when we are such a political basket case that we cannot get our act together to go, everybody drop everything, Israel needs our help, and this is whether or not you believe Israel's prosecuting the war on the ground well, I understand that, I accept that there's a lot of nuance there. We talk about that in the last two episodes of the podcast. But when one of our allies, and whether you like Israel and America's allyship, I get that. But when one of our allies as a democracy says, help, and we can't immediately spring into action, it helps to make the case that we are past our prime. And that is the whole reason for America's existence. I mean, think about it. We declare our independence in 1776, fight a war. Battle of Yorktown turns everything around. Treaty of Paris ends the war. We, we write a constitution, approve it, 1787. Two years later, France declares that it doesn't want a monarchy either. We're a democracy that spurs democracies, and that's always been our brand. And now you've got other nations that have viable arguments, at least in the mind of some developing countries, to make against letting the United States continue to be the world superpower by ourselves. All down to this little dude named Mike Johnson. So what does Mike Johnson represent to China and Russia? What does Mike Johnson represent to North Korea? What does Mike Johnson represent to the far-right parties in Greece and Italy and Germany that are trying to surge, that are trying to have more influence against, say, the European Union, which is a very challenging institution of democracies, or against NATO? What does that mean? It's all very much interconnected. I know this is a super long-winded answer. I'm really, really sorry. But you asked me what I think, and this is what I've been thinking about. These things lock together. These things matter. And I think that if Mike Johnson is the right guy for the job, then I have to treat it with some real care, some real, real care. So that's part of what we discussed in the Ask Me Anything live stream. That one was for paid subscribers only. If you'd like to be part of our future live streams, you can become a paid subscriber by subscribing online at nightlightshow.com. Coming up, there's one more lesson that I think needs to be learned from the House Speaker saga. It's something that the former Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, said in his nominating speech for nominee Jim Jordan. It was worth bringing up. Too bad he missed the point. 
Then again, it's something that I don't think a lot of us fully understand either. I'll explain just ahead. Stay close. The best part of the nightlight is you. Show your support for the show by becoming a paid subscriber. This can be more than just a podcast. It can be a community of people like you, people who want to be a part of building a better world for everyone, people who put connection above politics. Mainstream media is not doing it, and social media seems completely incapable, so we've got to build it ourselves. I have spent more than 20 years doing this work as an anchor and a newscaster and a national talk show host. Now I'm free to do it in new ways with no one to answer to but you. So come be my boss. The benefits for becoming a paid subscriber include access to all past posts on Substack, and you can leave comments there with priority over people who are not paid subscribers. You'll also get all podcasts and videos ad-free and early. To subscribe, you can go to nightlightshow.com, or if you want, just become a free subscriber on the site for limited access. Again, at nightlightshow.com. Thanks. This is The Nightlight. I'm Joshua Johnson. We are talking about the leadership battle in the U.S. House to find a new speaker that ended this week with Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana getting the job. I wanted to point out something from this process that illuminated for me exactly what's wrong with not only the speakership battle, which thankfully is done with, but perhaps with the House in general and maybe with more of the way we govern ourselves. In his nominating speech for Jim Jordan, the guy who lost the most recent round to be House Speaker, Congressman Kevin McCarthy, who had been the House Speaker before all this happened, said something that stuck out to me. The minute he said it, I felt my ears perk up. And now I know why. I'm going to play you a clip of what he said. And just so you're clear, he refers to two Jims in this quote. The first Jim is author Jim Collins. And the second is Congressman Jim Jordan. So when he's talking about challenging him, he's referring to Jim the congressman, not Jim the author. The challenge is also a different House leadership role, not the speakership. So just to kind of clarify that, he's referring to Jim Collins and then Jim Jordan. Those are the two Jims you will hear him mention. Okay, here's what he said. I believe in what Jim Collins says in the book, Good to Great. You put the right people in the right seats on the bus. And Jim, you and I may have challenged one another, but you were the right person for that seat. And it was right when he took that job. It was right again when we asked Jim to step up and be the right person to lead Judiciary Committee as chairman. And Jim is the right person to take that seat behind me to be our next Speaker of the House. So that's part of what Kevin McCarthy said during his nominating speech for Jim Jordan on his third and final bid to be the House Speaker. Now, the other Jim he was talking about, Jim Collins, 
he is a renowned scholar of leadership. He's written a number of books, including the one that, that Congressman McCarthy mentioned called Good to Great. Getting the Right People on the Bus is indeed one of Jim Collins's analogies. But if Jim Jordan, and Kevin McCarthy for that matter, had understood the meaning, all of this might not have happened. The idea is you get the right people on board and put the wrong people out before you decide where to go. You first focus on the who, then on what. This is the exact opposite of the way politics works. And that might be what's so frustrating. Now, in a way, that's kind of necessary. We need to know a candidate's views and their plans before we elect them. So you kind of can't work all the way around this. But problems occur when we take that too far, when our vote becomes so transactional that we'll accept anyone who convinces us they can get us what we want. The end of Jim Jordan's dear colleague note to his House Republicans from October 4th is very telling. This was when he first announced that he was running for the job before the three failed votes. Here's how that letter to his Republican colleagues ended. Quote, we are at a critical crossroad in our nation's history. Now is the time for our Republican conference to come together to keep our promises to Americans. The problems we face are challenging, but they are not insurmountable. We can focus on the changes that improve the country and unite us in offering real solutions. And then he finishes by writing, quote, but no matter what we do, we must do it together as a conference. I respectfully ask for your support for Speaker of the House of Representatives, unquote. That was his leadership error. If he really wanted to lead the House and get moving in an expeditious way, he cannot do it as a conference. He has to do it as a Congress. If he was smart, and if the current House Speaker is smart, they would send that dear colleague letter to Democrats too. Republicans would have only needed a handful of them to support a nominee, and how remarkable it would have been if Republicans had been able to come up with someone that Hakeem Jeffries could say, all right, fine, I'll peel you off a few votes. That would have been a mandate to lead, truly. Yes, they would have had to make some concessions, and we already saw how the concessions that Kevin McCarthy made cost him the speakership. I talked about that in a previous episode, but nothing could have been worse than McCarthy's concessions. I mean, one of them was letting any one member of the House cut his head off. And that was exactly what Congressman Matt Gates from Florida did and didn't even have to have a replacement in mind. Just, I don't like you. I don't know who I do like, but I don't like you. So off with your head. And that was enough. Kevin McCarthy could not convince his colleagues that he was who they wanted. So he sold out by promising to give them what they wanted. See why it was bound to fall apart? Because the list of things was so long that when Matt Gates perceived an error in that list, real or imagined, doesn't really matter now, it was an easy pretext to remove McCarthy, even though it would have been smarter to just say, hey, we made a deal. Can we get back on track and call him on it privately and then keep it moving? Republicans in this case, and many politicians in many situations, I don't want to make this purely about them, but a lot of politicians are campaigning on leadership, quote unquote, but they're really asking for control. And those are related, but they're not the same thing. Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Matt Gates are among 
the Republicans and or conservatives who sold the American people on this idea of bringing chaos, draining the swamp, destroying what Steve Bannon calls the so-called administrative state. They asked for it. This is what it looks like. And there's still time to turn that around, but there's not that much time. And in the 2024 elections, this has to be an issue. Who, regardless of their party affiliation, can get stuff done with other people, not in spite of other people. This, sidebar, is why I'm a little bit baffled and intrigued deeply by Democrats not being more vocally supportive of President Biden. And I'm no apologist for the Biden administration, but it's an interesting sign of the times that we don't really dig that kind of like understated, soft-spoken, white-haired elder statesman leadership anymore. Granted, we have a lot of you know, white-haired elder statesmen who are running things right now. And it probably is time for new blood. Joe Biden now has his first Democratic elected official who has decided to run against him. But just on the numbers, Joe Biden's been getting an enormous amount done legislatively, despite the opposition and chaotic inactivity of House Republicans. And I'm not just talking about like understated leadership in that like Teddy Roosevelt speak softly and carry a big stick kind of way. Jim Jordan had just rubbed a lot of people wrong. And I'm amazed that he didn't read the room. He's abrasive. He's an election denier, as has been Mike Johnson from Louisiana, the current House Speaker. We'll see how that plays out. And he's very far away from House Democrats in terms of his working relationships with them. So that seemed a non-starter. We'll see how Mike Johnson does. But Joe Biden has actually been able to get a lot of things done in Congress with this current chaos. So I'm interested to see how Democrats justify it to themselves themselves, if any of these alternative candidates don't have a track record of getting things done or cannot really articulate as clearly as he would how they would get things done. Because at the end of the day, that matters. Sidebar, we'll have plenty more time to talk about that next year and probably in the years to come. On top of that, the House Speaker is right behind the Vice President in the presidential succession. Acting President Jim Jordan How's that sound to you? For that matter, acting President Mike Johnson. How does that sound? If you even know who he is. The idea made a lot of people nervous as the man who would, in case of calamity, represent the U.S. to the world. And now we have to figure out what kind of an acting president Mike Johnson would be, how he would represent us to the world. Because he's a major figure, including in international politics. One of my hardest lessons, and this kind of get back, gets back to the leadership thing, one of my hardest lessons from six years as a national broadcaster, and no one ever told me this until I was already deep in my work, I'm not responsible for the show. Yes, I helped articulate a clear vision for 1A and the week, and now tonight, I came up with the name 1A, in fact, and my ideas were woven very tightly in those programs. But... At the end of the day, as a leader on a show team, I was not responsible for the show. I was responsible for the people who are responsible for the show. My first job was not product. It was people. And to make matters tougher, in that case, they were people who I could not hire and fire. I had to take a team of people that I could advise on, but not build myself and lead them as far as possible in as pleasant and encouraging a manner as possible. Does that sound familiar? 
That's kind of what the House Speaker has to do. You don't get to pick your fellow House members. You just have to lead them and lead them knowing they have an extremely wide array of ideological views. Don't let shows like The Newsroom and The Morning Show fool you. Very, very few people in my business can get away with being jerks. Very, very, very few. Because there is always someone else who can take your job with a minimum of fuss. I think Jim Jordan learned that the hard way last week. And don't get me wrong, I was no jerk. Everyone has bad days. I always came back around, apologized, tried to make amends very quickly, told my team, let me know if I mess up so I can fix it right away, and reminded them, you can always talk to a manager about anything, even if it's me. I think because 1A kind of emerged in a post-Me Too America, and we had a majority female team, I felt very strongly that we have to talk about that, and they insisted on it. The problem I encountered on the flip side, and maybe this is just a personal sidebar, is that making amends has to be reciprocated by a measure of resolution and reconciliation. And it's hard to close the loop sometimes. I think as we talk about leadership in politics and government and business and life and everywhere else, the next step is, okay, what do you do with people who make amends? How do you close the loop, heal the wound and move on? Right after Me Too, when everyone's emotions were raw, I totally understand that not being an appropriate conversation. I wonder when that day will come. Maybe we're still not there yet. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time. Jim Jordan might have gotten farther if, after the first round of voting when he lost, he'd come out publicly and acknowledged the critiques against him, reached out to members, tried to build a path forward together, Instead, this weird pressure campaign started that was essentially going to lock Republicans in Congress all weekend until they folded, until they folded. That clearly didn't work because Jim Jordan lost more and more Republican members with every round of voting until finally the House Republican caucus just gave up on him. Leaders have to be able to chase a vision, but still face the truth. And Jordan did too much chasing and not enough facing. And that was ultimately not going to fly. Which brings us back to Jim Collins. Remember him? The guy who wrote that book, Good to Great? In that book, he writes about something called the Stockdale Paradox. Have you heard of this? If you go to his website, which I think is just jimcollins.com, you can find this in, in the principles of, of his research. The Stockdale Paradox. There was a guy named Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was the highest ranking U.S. military officer in the Hanoi Hilton, that prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War. He was tortured more than 20 times in prison for eight years. He wrote a book called In Love and War, where he and his wife write alternating chapters chronicling their experiences during those eight years. In Good to Great, Jim Collins interviews Jim Stockdale. Too many Jims. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keeping all these Jims together. Jim Collins interviews Admiral Stockdale. Let's just call him that so we don't have to say Jim was talking to Jim and Jim said. Jim Collins in the book asks Admiral Stockdale, who did not make it out? Who died in the Hanoi Hilton? Who couldn't survive it? You know what Admiral Stockdale said? The optimists. The optimists were the ones who didn't make it. So Collins is like, I, I don't understand. 
Here's what he says in Good to Great. Stockdale says, the optimists, oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. And then he says, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And then Collins says that he still carries a mental image of Stockdale admonishing the optimists, we're not getting out by Christmas, deal with it. It seems to me that Jim Jordan and so many of our hubris-laden politicians and leaders fell victim to the Stockdale paradox. So did Kevin McCarthy, 15 rounds of voting for speaker, and he finally won, and then it failed him utterly. If the two of them had been acting out of that quote that McCarthy read, if they had been acting out of true leadership, they would have made smarter choices to get the job, if indeed it was meant for them. Ultimately, we get the leaders we deserve based on what we ask for and support and demand and reject. Congress is a reflection of us, granted, warped very severely by gerrymandering and cable news, which I know from the inside, and unprecedented political spending. So it's not a perfect one-to-one -one reflection. I get that. Don't get mad if you were suddenly like, I'm not part of the problem. I, I, I hear you. Unclench your teeth. I ain't talking about you. I understand that. But we're still part of the picture. And it seems to me if we want better political leadership, we got to know what kind of leaders are best for us, right? You, you can't really get what you don't even ask for. But if you don't know what to ask for, you kind of get what you got. And I feel like one of the themes that we're going to talk about on this show a lot in the next few months is how to raise the bar in terms of what we're getting as citizens. And I don't mean that from like getting better Democrats or getting better Republicans, but just getting better leaders. What does it mean to be a democracy that is led by its citizens and is a reflection of us? How do we articulate who we are in a way that lets us get better leadership for what we need for the challenges of the future? It's not enough to push back against this kind of lawmaking. We have to push for something, even as we're pushing against something. I would like to know how you would describe that. I want you to email me and I would like you, this is a crazy idea, but some of you are going to do it because I know who's listening. I know we got some creative people out there. I would like you to write me a job description for the house speaker. Say you were putting an ad on LinkedIn or Indeed or wherever. How would you write the job description for what we should get? How would you recruit that person? Their duties, their qualifications, the benefits, the goals. Suppose we could have prevented this whole headhunting headache now that we've seen it play out. Let's imagine it being better next time. And we don't know if there's going to be a next time in the next 45 minutes, considering they might get rid of this guy the same way they got rid of the last guy. By the way, sidebar, that House rule that allowed one member to cut Kevin McCarthy's head off and vacate the speaker's chair, that rule has not changed yet. The House still has to meet to formally change that rule. I presume they're going to do it really quickly 
But theoretically, they could still do the same thing. I don't think they will. I do not think they will. They voted for Mike Johnson unanimously. However, they could. And who knows what the new set of rules are? Who knows what other deals and arrangements Mike Johnson made to get this job? So we could be back in the same position very, very soon. We just don't know. Suppose you could write the description for the job of House Speaker. Write me a good one. Maybe I'll throw in some kind of a prize for the best one. My email is joshua at nightlightshow.com. You can also comment on the website, nightlightshow.com. Hit me up on social at Joshua Listening. I will read some of the best job descriptions next time. One last thing before I wrap up. At the end of the nominating speech for Mike Johnson, our current House Speaker, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik of New York, who is one of the Republican leaders in the House, quoted a Bible verse that I know very, very well. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Now, I ain't going to preach to you. That's not why we gathered here together today. But when she said it, again, my ears went up. Galatians 6, 9 reads, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I love that verse because it's inspiring. It's, you know, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. It's a beautiful sentiment. And that worked fine for me during Sunday school. But when I grew up, I learned the hard way that you have to read the Bible in context. People love to cherry pick. Give you another example. Ephesians chapter 6, that was used to justify slavery. Ephesians chapter 6 actually says that slaves should obey their masters and serve them as if they were serving the Lord. The problem is that exact same chapter right after that verse tells masters to treat their slaves as well as their slaves treat them. Ephesians 6, 9 warns masters that God is their master and God does not play favorites. Context is everything. So Congresswoman Stefanik pulled out that verse from Galatians, but context will get you every time. She should have read two verses above that. She would have seen Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, which says, A man reaps what he sows. Good things can happen for those who don't give up, but as I've learned in my own life, when good things don't happen, and when they don't happen over and over, and when they don't happen over and over for the exact same reason, it might be wise to ask yourself, maybe it's me? So when we don't get the kind of leadership in this country that we want, sooner or later, some of our fellow Americans, perhaps including us, have to stop and ask, maybe it's us? That's what I think. Tell me what you think. I would love to hear from you, joshua at nightlightshow.com. And that's it for this week. Be sure to follow the show in your podcast app or on YouTube. If you missed the Ask Me Anything, it's available to watch on demand right now. The feed is at The Nightlight Show, so youtube.com slash at The Nightlight Show. Yes, slash at, remember both symbols. Wherever you listen, please leave a review and make sure your notifications are turned on to let you know when new episodes come out. 
Also, remember to send me your job description for house speaker, something that will get us better applicants than we had until now. Joshua at nightlightshow.com, or you can reach me on social at Joshua Listening. And if you wanna see programs like this impact America for the better, then consider supporting the show as a paid subscriber online at nightlightshow.com. So until we meet again, I'm Joshua Johnson. Thank you so much for making time for me and please keep on shining because someone, somewhere, needs your light right now.